Welcome everybody back to another episode of Hoth Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. My name is Ian and joining me as always is my co-host John. John, how are you doing? I am doing okay. Just okay. That's pretty good. You know, okay is better than bad. Okay Okay is better than (laughs) bad. Well, John, this is actually a very special episode of Hoth Topics because we are not just broadcasting on behalf of ourselves, but we are also participating in Star Wars Podcast Day 2021. Now, are you familiar with Star Wars Podcast Day? Let's pretend that I wasn't. Uh, What could you tell me about it? Well, Star Wars Podcast Day is a day where a bunch of different Star Wars podcasters are all getting together to send out a new episode around the same time, around February 7th, with all things going well, we'll be putting this out around that time. And the goal is just to share the Star Wars community and to just let everybody know that there are some great podcasts out there that you can listen to that aren't necessarily just us. So if you want to know more about Star Wars Podcast Day, you can go on Twitter and go to at Star Wars Pod Day or follow the hashtags, hashtag Star Wars Podcast Day or hashtag SWPD2021 to learn more about all the awesome podcasts that are going to be participating. Now, we had a very interesting idea for today's episode. No, it really wasn't that interesting. You're right. It really <laughs> wasn't all that interesting. It was more of a meme. So why don't you go over what exactly happened to cause the idea for this episode to come about? Well, while we were brainstorming like what we could do that would be unique, I guess, for this particular podcast day episode, I think we kind of played around with, oh, maybe we'll just do an introduce ourselves, kind of give a like a more of a, a generic or general over overview of the show to welcome new listeners. It's somebody that might have clicked on the list of, uh, do you have how many podcasts are participating? Last time I checked, it was like 58. Yeah, that was less, like a week ago. Yeah, that was about a week ago. I haven't gotten any updates since then, but I'm sure there are even more coming oh. to the fold. Well, uh, as just a side, side tangent, if you are new to Hot Topics, uh, welcome. I almost went off an entirely different tangent with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I said, we, were, we thought maybe doing a more general overview, maybe more something... A little bit more general in Star Wars. A little bit more generic. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to keep using the word general, even though we did decide to do a general topics episode. Yep. I believe how it went was uh, I said, uh, we should do something more general. And then your response was, hey, let's do an episode about generals in Star Wars. And I said, that's a dumb idea. Let's do it. It's a very dumb idea. Incredibly so. So so both uh, Ian and I, um, we researched... One general in Star Wars to do a little bit of a mini report on and then uh, talk back to each other about uh, or discuss is probably a better terminology. Nah, talk back to talk, each other. Yeah, talk Yeah, talk at each other's faces uh, about these generals or uh, anything interesting that we might have learned along the way. So do you want to start off or would you like me to start off? Uh, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and start off, Ian? All right, well... My general uh, I picked is uh, no longer a canon individual. He is from the Knights of the Old Republic 2 game, and his name is General Vaklu. Now, the only reason I really picked him is because I recently replayed 
uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, and I remembered that, hey, this guy is a general. And interestingly enough, in Star Wars, the title of general doesn't come up as often as you'd think it would. Uh, there are a lot of uh, naval ranks, lots of admirals and, and such, but uh, general list is actually kind of, you know, not as expansive as you'd think. So this guy, General Vaklu, he is a uh, general from Andron. Now, Andron is one of those planets that kind of keeps popping up in uh, Star Wars. You know, no matter how uh, how hard you look, Andron is one of those planets that has a deep history with both the Force and then in the Clone Wars, we see that Saw Gerrera. Saw Gerrera, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't hear anything, <laughs> but uh, he will know the truth. But Saw Gerrera is from Andron and. The, the planet itself has a, has a deep history in Legends, and I didn't actually go into the Legends lore too much, but I, I think you did. You read one of the comics, correct, that has uh, to do with the... When, when I was a children, I was visiting my aunt in Hawaii, and she bought me a Tales of the Jedi comic, like a collected issue. I do not remember exactly which one it was, but it had to do with the... Keldroma brothers mm-hmm. on a mission to Onderon to rescue a princess. Man, that sounds generic, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It turns out the queen was uh, a dark side disciple, and she was trying to like convert her daughter to the dark side. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. The thing that I remembered most about that book was that Onderon's moon, which... I believe it was pronounced Zune or Duxun, D-X-U-N. Duxun, uh, I believe. Its orbit is so close to Onderon that there are parts of the year where their atmospheres touch and giant reptilian birds can travel between the planets. Pretty sure I heard that as like the premise for some other like fantasy novel too. So Probably. Who knows where it came from first. Yeah, that book had like a big, big history on the warlords of Onderon and how when they were still tribal, like the the most successful warriors were the ones that were able to fly these birds and they were called the beast riders and right. something something freed in Nan, Sith Lord Doom. Yeah. Well there is <laughs> there is a there is a big thing with, with Onderon as a planet where it's it's mostly jungle. It's one of those sort of things where the jungle grows around all the time and it's really hard to beat back and, and have like a, a rooted civilization. So you have the, the civilization that arose in the in the city-state of uh, Izes, I-Z-I-Z, and they kind of came into conflict with the, the beast riders who were originally outcasts. Mm-hmm. from the city they were just like well go out here and die and then these criminals from the city uh, instead of going out and dying in the jungle figured out how to tame the beasts and and attack uh the city and there's a long long history of uh dark side force users and light side force users that all connects back to the royal family of Isis. and this gentleman that i'm about to talk about general vaclu is actually one of the royal family now he is at odds with his at, at the time of meeting him he's at odds with his cousin who is the queen of Andron at the moment and he is a, a military leader general Vaklu of course with his general title now he was a hero during the the Mandalorian wars 
where the Mandalorians attacked the Republic and some of the Jedi, including Jedi Knight Revan, went off to uh, confront them against the will of the Council. Now, the Mandalorians uh, will later claim that General Vaklu really wasn't much of a threat and that his little resistance that he put together during the wars was uh, nothing compared to the help that they received from the Republic and the Jedi. Uh, but Vaklu is considered to be a war hero on his planet because of the resistance that he put up against the Mandalorian Wars. You know, afterwards he got to the, the rank of general and became a leading uh, figure in the military. And he became disillusioned with the Republic, right? So the Republic came in, saved Onderon from uh, Mandalorian menace and... Onderon became part of the Republic, but Vaklu and a significant number of the supporters on Onderon didn't necessarily feel like they were getting their fair share. They didn't think that they were getting the best thing out of this deal, and they wanted to become self-sufficient, away from the Republic. Well, Queen Talia, uh, his cousin, uh, she she wasn't for this. She thought that they were stronger for the Republic, with the Republic, and uh, something of a civil war started to brew. Uh, supporters of General Vaklu, whether or not by his command, it's it's not really sure, took it into their own hands to try to assassinate uh, the queen. So security tightened around the palace and then a Council of Lords member got it into their head that General Vaklu was going to had it out for the queen. So tried to assassinate him in the middle of a parliament meeting and tensions just rose and rose and rose and rose until... During the events of the game, you kind of come to the planet in the middle of this civil war. And it's crazy. Like, everybody has a different opinion. There are two characters that you can actually end up talking to uh, during your trip there that both have very different opinions on, like, what's going on and Vaklu himself. And the reason I kind of picked Vaklu is not because he's very interesting overall, but what the, the political intrigue that he's embroiled in is very interesting and how military leaders in Star Wars usually tend to have something of a, a a large part to play in terms of the overall structure of the storyline. These two alien characters that you can meet during the game, one of them says, Vaklu lies and tries to take the heart of the people away from the good queen. And his friend says, he may not tell all the truth, but he works in the best interest of the people. So it really goes to show that it's a, it's a half-and-half sort of situation on the planet. Well, what's really interesting about Vaklu is that he's one of those characters, kind of like w what we've had a conversation with with Dooku in the past, mm -hmm. where he might necessarily be not be going about things the right way or how we would prefer, but he really thinks that he has Onderon's best interest at heart when he starts to edge towards the seat of power he uses the military to create a blockade of starships over the planet, interrupting the Republic trade effort, and which, you know, kind of backfires because, well, it works to his advantage because he wants to prove that they're better off without the Republic, and then by causing this sort of Republic trade embargo, he ends up proving that they're just going to get easily annoyed and drop them, because they did. And it was getting harder and harder for people to trade with the planet. 
he ends up speaking out against the queen on multiple occasions. And what's kind of interesting is that uh, once he gets to the point where he's going to uh, attempt a coup against Queen Talia, uh, he has most of the military backing him at that point. He wants to, uh, you know, take over and install martial law. And most of the soldiers back that plan uh, to the point where your character in the middle of the game really has a choice to make. Do you back up Queen Talia and her pro-Republic sort of outlook on things? Or do you back Vaklu, who is very isolationist, very uh, set our own destiny? And it's, it's, it's a weird sort of look because it's one of those things where we think oh you know fantasy sci-fi star wars stories but we've actually kind of lived through something pretty historic recently where we see uh, a significant portion of our nation going hey uh, we don't like what's going on and it might not be as clear-cut as in this but fact that people decided to start throwing their support behind a particular movement and then storm a particular government building. There's some interesting sort of parallels to that in in this story. Yeah. If you end up going light side, which I did during the, the game, General Vaklu ends up being defeated by Queen Talia. And of course, the, you know, they have a little bit of a one-on-one duel and you can decide their fate. But... The thing that I really like about this guy is that he really had the best interest of the people at heart, even though that wasn't really what was happening. And uh, it goes to show even the people with the the worst plans, sometimes they start from good uh, intentions out of love for their people. And his lieutenant ends up siding with a, a Sith Lord just because the Sith Lord promises to save Onderon later down the line. Bad ideas, guys, but good, uh, good effort. That's uh, that's General Vaclu for you. Well, Ian, uh, like like you said, comparing him to Dooku, I find that personally that that kind of villain makes a far more compelling villain, where their actions may in fact actually be helping their society. Like they think that they're actually doing something good and maybe some of their actions are, so maybe some of their actions aren't. It makes them a more, re- I don't want to say relatable, but that that's what it is. It, it makes them, it humanizes them almost. Um, it makes it so that it's not just a black and white choice of he's evil or he's, he's good, which is kind of weird because like, you know, Star Wars is, Star Wars is a fantasy and like, it's totally fine for the villain to be a bad guy for the sake of being a villain but like I, I found that in a lot of the expanded material, canon or not, there's there tends to be a lot more attempts to make those worlds feel more real, more like our world, kind of move away from the fantasy aspect of it. Sure. Well, and it really goes to show that how old Star Wars is, really, because it started off as a very black and white story and mm-hmm. i think george lucas would you know attest to that you know this is good versus evil the dark side versus the light but as it has grown with the audience over the years that desire for nuance in this mm-hmm. large galaxy has resulted in these characters who are very much not black and white 
even though some of them are like Vaklu himself. He's he's obviously not the good guy. Right. And if you side for him with him, it's obviously a dark sider move, but you can kind of understand how he got there. Yeah. Right? You might not condone the actions, you might not condone the man he is now, but you can absolutely see the trajectory that his life went and seeing like, okay, this guy was a war hero. He has the adulation of all of his peers. He's got some big issues with how things are being run. He's trying to make sure his people get a better deal. And as misguided as that might be in the story as it's presented, you can see how he got there, you know? Yeah. And it definitely helps when you are creating a world for an RPG like SWOTOR. Mm-hmm. Uh, SWOTOR or KOTOR? Uh, this Soldier. is KOTOR. So oh, KOTOR, oh, KOTOR 2. KOTOR 2, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it helps when you make, you're making a game where you have decisions to make to, to make a character like that where the possibility of siding with them uh, doesn't seem far-fetched. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Very good. <laughs> yeah. So, who do you got for me? What What is your general report? Well, Ian, I, I, I thought, I went over a lot of them. Um, I did the same as you. I googled generals in Star Wars, came across a lot of not generals, mm-hmm. or people that aspire to be generals, such as, oh, I wish I'd written his name down, in the Clone Wars... He is the Republic officer that is very, very small. And so he gets stuck with a group of astromechs. Oh, yeah, RPG yeah, team. yeah. And one of the blurbs on his Wikipedia, or his Wookiee. His Wikipedia. 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 There we go. There you go. Wikipedia article is that he strived to become a brigadier general. Like, that was his dream. But there's not, there's not that much information about him. I thought about... Everyone's favorite Gungan, Jar Jar Binks, who was promoted from being exiled to bombad general of the Gungan army have we ever uh, during the Battle of Naboo. Have we ever determined whether or not a bombad general is a rank higher than just a regular general? Who, who knows? Their language is nonsense. Mm. I mean, if it's super bombad racing, it's I think it's just a redundant verb. <laughs> Adjective. I don't. I don't know those. I took German. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you speak English. Um, so yeah, just gonna Lost just gonna Western. glaze by that. Uh, yeah, so trying to figure out if Thrawn was a general in the Ascendancy before he jumped over to the Empire, uh, but I didn't read the Ascendancy book, so I didn't really look into that. And I think you only made it to Captain. And then it came down to two choices: one being the obvious choice for someone that has a set of General Veer's armor for cosplaying. Who would be, of course, General, General Max, Max, Axbar. Ma- yes, General Axbar. Uh, <laughs> General Maximilian Veers. Right. Um, but I didn't feel qualified to talk about that. So uh, I reached out to somebody to talk to us about that. Hey, Hoth Topics. This is Veers Watch, here to give you some information on the man, the myth, the legend, Maximilian Veers himself. Even though he doesn't have a huge number of canon appearances, thanks to a couple of reference books and references to legends in other canon stories, we do still have a decent bit of information about the general. He hails from the planet of Denon and was a devoted husband and father. Isn't that fun? Beyond that, 
We know a few of his canon victories include conflicts over the Zalorians on Zaloris and Colrunians on Colrun III, both references to victories fleshed out further in Legends. Assigned to the Death Star but never actually making it to the station, its destruction helped accelerate his career in his promotion to Death Squadron, serving directly under Darth Vader. Serving under Darth Vader, we've had a few appearances of Veers of some import. Veers met with Admiral Oslin Darth Vader at Fortress Vader on Mustafar, and a comment Veers made inspired Vader's plan that actually eliminated a lot of the Rebel High Leadership, including General Dudana and General Willard, both seen in A New Hope and uh, not further. That's why, uh, if you listen to how I tell it, General Veers is actually responsible for pretty much all of Kieran Gillen's run on the main Star Wars title, because you have two arcs building up to the plan Veers inspired, the arc where, you know, the plan happens, and then two arcs dealing with the fallout of that plan, so that's uh, pretty neat. General Veers was also in charge of Project Swarm, the probe droid project tasked with finding the Rebel base. Which, hey, it eventually did, finding the Rebels on Hoth, and leading, of course, to that famous battle where we first see Veers in action in The Empire Strikes Back. Veers successfully led the assault on Echo Base, but as seen in The Truest Duty, and deleted scenes from The Empire Strikes Back, his walker was hit by Hobby's snowspeeder. Now... In Legends, both he and Hobby survived this, and Veers went on to have a somewhat marred career, eventually leading to his death in a suicide mission in uh, about 10 years, during Dark Empire 2. But in canon, well, this was, uh, this was a little... Uh, it was odd. Because uh, a reference book called On the Front Lines confirmed that the scene happened and that Hobby died in the... Uh, in the crash, but it did not mention any information on General Veers himself. So, for a few years, we had no idea whether Veers lived or died, and I was leaning probably, unfortunately, towards died, because it would explain why he didn't show up in canon after The Empire Strikes Back. But, thankfully, the truest duty from, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back, confirmed that Veers did, in fact, survive the initial crash, he was rescued by his loyal AT-AT driver, Lastock, who is named after some schmuck I can't recall. And, well, it looks like now we could be getting future Veer's appearances after The Empire Strikes Back. So it's really, truly an exciting time to be a General Veer's fan. Thank you very much for having me on. It was an absolute blast. I love talking about General Veer's. If you want to hear me yell about General Veer's some more, you can always go to at Veer'swatch on Twitter or look up Veers Watch Weekly on iTunes. Thanks again for having me. And we're back. What? When did you set this up? Veers uh, Watch, I had absolutely no idea that John had gone and gotten your very in-depth and, quite frankly, pleasantly uh, a pleasant surprise to have you on about your, your, your I, can't, I can't even, I can't even words right now. When did this happen? So I, I reached out to Veer's Watch a few weeks ago 
when we first came up with this idea. Uh, I reached out to him through my email address, not through our our, our Hoth Topics email address. Uh, I'm like, hey, please don't, please don't post anything about this. Don't don't respond to our like any of our Hoth the Hoth Pod contact things because I'm trying to keep this as much of a secret as possible. Jeez. Well, because originally I was just gonna assume that everyone was gonna think that I was gonna be doing Veers because I have Veers armor. Right. And then we didn't record as quickly as I thought we were going to on that. Mm-hmm. And the longer we were waiting, the longer I thought maybe somebody will pick him i got i was super excited and have been sitting on this this file in my email for weeks now <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so so viewers watch george thank you so much for playing along and and giving us some great insight into the the good general probably one of the best generals uh, on screen that's that's probably like very accurate it's, it's only the admirals that are bad it's the generals <laughs> they, they get it done. Um, and just as a quick side note, when when he mentioned uh, Veers was saved by his loyal AT AT driver, that he couldn't remember who is named after. It's named after him. Yeah. Uh, they they just rearranged the the letters in his name to come up with Lostock, and I think that's that's living the dream right there. Absolutely. Going from a a, a Twitter account that sole mission in life is to read star wars media and let you know if uh, veers is in it or not to being a part of star wars canon is 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 pretty cool yeah that that is that's the goal right (laughs) that's the dream that's the dream okay so i guess i should go over my general now yeah i was gonna say did you outsource (laughs) your entire report to veers watch i thought about it i'm like who else could i reach out to but uh veers watch is definitely the most obvious choice for yeah, looking he, for a specific general. He is the authority on General Veers. Like, I was thinking maybe Star Wars explained, but, like, Biggs is not a general, and he's not alive. Um, <laughs> his mustache will live forever, though. That's true. Um. Okay, where's the... Let me pull up my doc, which I will be reading from. So, the general I finally settled on. I know this has been about six minutes of me not getting to that. I chose him because a few years back I had a job where I was traveling every week and was basically on a flight every other day to a different city to repair computers in VA hospitals. And this was just after The Force Awakens came out. And I really enjoyed General Hux's name because I added it to the word Hux to position. And then I would take pictures of things in random airports and then i would paste a picture of hux on top of it and then say well that's a crazy hux position and i would laugh to myself and then i'd send that to my friends and it didn't make sense to them either and we would shake our heads and go john's lost his mind um he was probably my favorite character in in the the sequel trilogy i just found him so enjoyable he's this insanely high-ranking officer with a ton of command underneath him, and he's just so obviously inept at everything, and it, uh, it's it's so perfectly Star Wars villain general. So I decided to do my report on Hux. I figured we're getting that. There is a lot of stuff on Hux and a lot of stuff I haven't read. So I basically am only doing his early life up until not even that it. It's it cuts off before that because um, mm-hmm. TLDR um, he goes from being a child to being general, and then there might be supplemental material in between there, but 
the Wikipedia did not have much, and I basically <laughs> stole most of this from the Wikipedia. I can't say Wikipedia without trying to say Wikipedia and pronouncing it like John Mulaney's character in Oh, Hello, and pronouncing it the Wikipedia. Good. Long, long way to make a John Mulaney reference. Makes you feel any better. I can't not see the word Wikipedia spelled nine different ways in my head right now. So. You're welcome. Hmm. Happy birthmas. Hmm. <clears throat> so my report. The early life of Armitage Hux. A tragic juxtaposition. Yeah, Armitage Hux, the eccentric and ginger general of the First Order, wasn't always a red-headed screaming maniac. He started his life as a weaselly unwanted child to an unfaithful father. A hard life trying to escape the shadow of his parentage molded him into a true hero. Nay, the true supreme leader we always wanted. Are you serious? <laughs> is this, I, is I the wrote whole, a report. Is the whole report like this? Yes. Yeah, sort of, uh, no, it kind of it kind of teeters out towards the end. <laughs> <clears throat> so buckle in. Yeah. Uh, Armitage Hux was born sometime around the Battle of the Avon. Uh, a new hope for our friend Mike. That joke there would have been great if Mike were here. On the Imperial planet of Arachnus, which should not be confused with the world of Arrakis, the adopted planet of the Kwisatz Haderach Paul Atreides, known to the Fremen as Moadib, and also the Imperial capital of House Atreides. Did you just... Which itself is known simply as Dune, or as the Spice World. Of course, Spice World is also the name of a fantastic 1997 British musical comedy film starring the Spice Girls, whom of which also have a ginger member, Jerry Hallwell, a.k.a. Ginger Spice. What is happening right now? His father, Brindle Hux, served in the Clone Wars as a junior officer in the Grand Army of the Republic. After the creation of the Galactic Empire by then-Supreme Chancellor Sheev Palpatine, the former representative of Naboo, he began training new Imperial cadets at the famous Arachnus Imperial Academy. Again, not to be confused with Arrakis. It was while he was stationed here that now Commandant Hux had an affair with the Kitchen Woman, who subsequently gave birth to his only child, Armitage, which is a very hard word to keep writing. <laughs> I cannot find much information on her on Wikipedia. Oh, excuse me. I cannot find much information on her, and Wikipedia only refers to her as Kitchen Woman slash Armitage's mother. Brindle was openly critical of Armitage, not only to his face, but to Armitage's utter dread, also to fellow officers and friends. Thinking him weak and unworthy, stating years later to Admiral Sloan, Armitage is a weak-willed boy, thin as a slip of paper, and just as useless. He would end that conversation by stating to the Admiral, but I'll teach him, you'll see, he has potential. As if this, as if the way he raised and treated Armitage was some sort of misguided attempt at a boy named Sue slash get tough or die like ideal. Hmm. Uh, the Huxes did not initially flee Arachnus. Okay, now I've got them confused. Uh, <laughs> after the defeat of the Emperor at Endor, Arachnus was a deeply held imperial world but it wasn't long until the New Republic laid siege to the planet. It was at this point that Fleet Admiral Gaius Rax, or Gallius Rax, I'm going to say Gaius because I've been watching a lot of Battlestar Galactica. Sure. Um, hatched a, sh a little shame to rescue the Huxes. Admiral Rax saw the potential boons of having 
a man with Brendel's history of training new Imperial recruits and stormtroopers. With the help of Admiral Salone, the Huxes were rescued from Arachnus and traveled across the stars with Admiral Gaius to the desert world of Jakku, which itself is a way better dune stand-in than the rainy world of Arachnus. <laughs> While here, Brindle began training a number of local orphans into essentially Gaius Rax's who was now parading himself around as the counselor of the empire into his bodyguards. After a few months, the New Republic sent the cavalry to Jakku to attack what was left of the Imperial fleet. Unbeknownst to them, this was part of Rax's plan to gather both fleets, then blow up the planet to destroy both fleets, as for Emperor Palpatine's contingency plan. It's part of Operation Tender sort of thing. Seems very convoluted. But... Uh, it's, it was something to the effect of we'll blow up the we'll blow up what Lutz left of the Empire and then take all the loyal people and start the Empire again somewhere. Fair enough. Before he enacted his plan, he gifted Armitage his bodyguards, telling the young Armitage, "Yeah, uh, you will lead these children. They will serve you, and one day your father will pass down his teachings to you, and you will learn to do what he did. It will be your life's work to take." Take children like these savages and hammer their malleable minds into whatever shape you so require. They will be tools built for the work at hand. This is my gift to you, boy. One day your father will die. One day soon, I fear, and you will take his place. And Real cheerful guy. Real great guy. And then instructed the child soldiers to follow Armitage's orders, which he immediately tested by having the children strike each other on orders. Hmm. As a fun reminder, Armitage is about five or six years old. Me- meanwhile, <laughs> Admiral Sloan, seeing Rax's plan to be a futile and stupid gesture, killed Rax and fled to the unknown regions with Hux to start the Empire anew. So this kind of setup where uh, Hux became, or General Hux became the, I guess, commander of the Stormtrooper Training Corps for the First Order. This is insane. You're welcome. What? Like, this is, well, I I didn't, I haven't looked into Hux, like, as a character, but Mm -hmm. what a wild ride. Like, like, there's so much stuff in there about how his father just always mistreated him. Like, one of the, one of the examples I saw that I didn't include, but I'll include now, was um, he was bringing drinks to his father's friends. Like, they're having a meeting or something, and he, and he dropped the tray. And his uh, father demanded that he, or his, yeah, I believe it was his father demanded that he clean it up by licking up all of the beverages that it spilled, which yeah, he that's... did. Like, Ugh. it was like a whole lifetime of abuse. Like, it was Jeez. crazy. Like, not, not, makes sense. It's one of those, like, let's, um, let's, let's humanize the, the bad guy. But like, oh, he was a bad guy because, you know, he was. Raised bad or whatever. Yeah. Well, don't treat your kids bad or they might turn into space Nazis. That's true. Or regular Nazis. Still bad. All right. So Armitage was raised on stories about the strength of the Empire and how it brought order to an uncivilized and warring galaxy. He dreamed of being one of those worthy of remembrance, a sensation in the history hollows and poorly researched reports by a co-host of a podcast with tens of listeners. He he even believed that he alone knew what needed to be done to avoid the catastrophe that led to the end of the Empire and that he would sit at the top as Supreme Leader of the First Order. 
With this goal in mind, Armitage used his cunning and guile to quickly climb the First Order's ranks, using the training strategies brought to the First Order from his father. Armitage continued training new stormtroopers from birth, which created far more loyal soldiers than that of normal recruiting techniques of the Empire of old. He also enlisted the help of Captain Phasma to train older recruits to finish their training. On a side note, he conspired with Phasma to kill his father, which she did, after this Hux pretty much took over the Stormtrooper training with Phasma. Hmm. Uh, in the end, Armitage Hux stood unbroken by his father's hatred, and intentional or not, strived to be stronger and more ruthless due to how he was raised. It wasn't long after this that he was given command of Starkiller Base, and the rest of this, his story is history, because it happened a long, long time ago. Oh, good. Uh, and then just as a fun side note, not only did I make amazing uh, references to Dune, but there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 references to other Domino Gleason movies. You're welcome. What? Oh, man. First, I got to commend you. Because... I'm going to post that in the... Uh... On the website. <laughs> you should. I, I, I got to commend you because uh, that was, I feel like I kind of just rambled and you delivered an actual report. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, what? <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I that was really informative. I learned a lot about Hux that I, I never knew before. And with Veers too, by well, the way. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the odd man out here in this <laughs> podcast. Well, it's a... Uh... The, the whole thing about him having Phasma help him kill his dad is she suggested that they use this one beetle that delivers some sort of poison. Um, they're able to get it done. The, the thing bites his dad. He dies. Captain Cardinal is like, hey, I, I know what you did. Yeah. And then Hux is like, I'm going to have you killed. And he's like, no, you're not. Anyways, Captain Cardinal is not really a thing in the sequel trilogies. I don't know. Yeah, hmm. I don't know if those are related or not. That's that's <laughs> interesting. That's a little bit of a that's, there's a clue there, methinks. Wow. Yeah, the there's two other things out while I was reading that I remember that kind of pushed me towards doing some more research on Hux. When I was doing I just Googled or YouTube like Star Wars general biographies and one of the videos that popped up was a Star Wars explained video that the title was something like was Hux beaten as a child or something Eesh. so I was like oh that's I'll look into that and then I was like oh that's cool and no it's not cool that's like it's kind of like this is an interesting backstory about a character and it's not at all cool to beat your children <laughs> no matter if they become space Nazis or not true otherwise and then the other thing was I was watching something else unrelated and they were uh, they showed the clip of Hux betraying kylo ren and just immediately getting blasted away by it was that uh pride i think it's pride yeah which it just made me laugh because it reminds me of like half the D characters i play where it's like i don't care if your side wins or not i just want this one guy to get in trouble that's all <laughs> uh, i care about what what was hux's father's name again brendel okay yeah, not related to Brendel Cogglefire, the character that betrayed everybody. Right, yeah, no, it was... Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny when I was researching it. That it was bugging the, me the whole time. He had the time. name of my favorite D&D character. Ugh, the um, worst consequences I've ever experienced in a D&D <laughs> game. <laughs> um, what was the other thing? Oh, um, it did. The, the article did mention that Hux cannot take insults well. 
and (laughs) and many years of dealing with poe dameron poe learned this which is why at the beginning of uh, the last jedi he's doing that whole like is general hugs there hello you know just like making fun of him just messing with him yeah because hux cannot handle that and he knew that that would cause hux to um lapse in judgment that's that's pretty awesome actually you know, I like those little side notes where you learn more about a character and then it brings certain things into context mm-hmm. more sharply. Yeah, man. Wow. Got, got, got any questions? <laughs> no, I think you pretty much covered it, man. I mean, it, it was it, it was it's it's fascinating to learn the background of a character like that because really, like you said, he is supposed to just be the default bad guy that yeah. you're not you're not supposed to root for him whatsoever. It, it's kind of interesting to see how his generation, the foundation of of the First Order, like a lot, uh, a lot of imp- old Imperial generals would have died off or like Imperial higher people would have died off by the time Hux got to general. So his generation, they are the first generation of First Order soldiers. They didn't know Imperial service. They only know First Order. Right. Um, so there's there's kind of a different mindset to them because they've been they've been pushed off to the all they know is that they were pushed off to the rim right unknown regions and that they were raised on those stories of the empire bringing peace to the galaxy victors write the the histories type thing right except they weren't the victors but they still wrote the histories right um so like it's it's I don't. I don't have any doubt in my mind that they thought what they were doing was was to benefit the galaxy, like like your general was. Except you no, know, first order on a galactic scale. I feel like the the guys that knew about like the Sith Order were probably like, yeah, no, we're just we're just evil. But sure. I don't. I don't think Hux knew about that stuff. Yeah. No. That that's. Uh... Man, that's that's a lot more in depth about Hux than I than I thought uh, I would learn today. So no, I I really enjoyed uh, I I enjoyed that report. I enjoyed pulling up an IMDb page of Domhnall Gleeson and then trying to figure out how I could fit certain movie titles into to that report. The only one that isn't an actual movie title is when I said he was a little Weasley. Oh, good lord. Uh, he's a little, he's a little Weasley. Yeah, he's one of the Weasleys. Uh huh. But that's the only one that wasn't directly the name. There's gonna be someone who listens to this who's gonna get every single one of those. I didn't get any of them. So, well, some of them are like very generic, like words. Right. Other ones are pretty obvious. Well, someone's gonna point them out. Um. Yeah. All right. Well. Anything else to wrap up this episode? Uh, not really. Uh, I just again want to thank uh, thank viewers watch for pl- playing. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and a lot of fun sitting on that, just waiting to be able to play that for you. I am so surprised. Like, and, and, and during this recording is the first time I heard it. So that's insane. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, thank you so much, Veers Watch, for, for coming on the show and being an extra surprise guest. <laughs> um, and I also want to give a shout-out to everybody else who is participating in Star Wars Podcast Day. Uh, if you want to see more podcasts doing more great Star Wars content, 
go ahead and head over to uh, Twitter and follow at uh, Star Wars Pod Day or search the hashtags hashtag Star Wars Podcast Day or hashtag SWPD2021. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us here at Hoth Topics, you can always send us a message uh, through email at hothpod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us on the Twitters at hothpod or head over to our website hothtopicspodcast.com where you can see more episodes and more articles and more fun surprises uh, along the way. I think uh, going forward we're going to finish up our Mandalorian uh, episodes and then it's going to be a whole new world of content where we're going to struggle to figure out what exactly to talk about yet again. Uh, I've been in. I know it would be useless to do any more punch up on this Hux script thing that I wrote, but um, I still want to. <laughs> like, there's still ways to fit other movies into there. Maybe some of his TV shows. Uh, that's John, and he's in a heck of a Huxta position. Got him. Thank you very much, everybody. We will see you next time. 